0: This is a Stillwater Revival Books Audiobook Selection. Please join us at PuritanDownloads.com to see all the new 99-cent digital downloads, Reformation and Puritan Books, Psalms, Singing, MP3s, and so on, the new SWRB Puritan Hard Drive, and much more. The new website is state-of-the-art and contains Puritan Hard Drive videos, Puritan Quote videos, free samples of Psalms, Singing, MP3s, a powerful search engine, new material, Puritan books, MP3s and videos, that you may follow through an RSS feed, and it is very easy to navigate. That's PuritanDownloads.com. The Christian Mother by John Abbott, written in 1833 from Worcester, Massachusetts, published by the American Tract Society. The Mother's Difficulties The remarks which have already been made are so obvious that one is led to inquire why is family government generally so defective? Why do so few succeed in obtaining prompt obedience? There are many causes operating to produce this result. The rules of discipline may be simple and plain, and yet many motives may influence us to shrink from enforcing them. Number one. Our great obstacle is a lack of self-control on the part of parents. How few persons are there who have gained that conquest over self which enables them to meet the various vicissitudes of life with calmness and composure. How few are there who are not occasionally, at least, thrown off their guard and provoked to the exhibition of excited and irritated feeling. And can a mother expect to govern her child when she cannot govern herself? Family government must most emphatically begin at home. It must begin in the bosom of the parent. She must learn to control herself, to subdue her own passions. She must set her children an example of meekness and of equanimity. Or she must reasonably expect that all her efforts to control their passions will be ineffectual. A child gets irritated and strikes his sister, and the mother gets irritated and whips the child. Now, both mother and child have been guilty of precisely the same crime. They have both been angry, and both in anger have struck another. And what is the effect of this sinful punishment? It may make the child afraid to strike his sister again. But will it teach that child that he has done wrong? that it is wicked to be angry, can it have any salutary effect upon his heart. He sees that his mother is irritated, and thus he is taught that it is proper for him to be angry. He sees that when his mother is irritated, she strikes, and thus he is taught that the same course is proper for him. The direct effect of the punishment is to feed the flame and strengthen the inveteracy of passion. In such a course as this, there is no moral instruction, and no salutary discipline. And yet a mother who has not conquered self, who cannot restrain the violence of her own passions, will often thus punish. When we see such a mother with passionate and turbulent children, no second question need be asked why they are not gentle and obedient. And when we reflect how very seldom it is that we see an individual who may not be occasionally provoked to act from the irritation of the moment, we cannot wonder that the family so often presents a scene of uproar and misrule. This self-control at all times and under all circumstances is one of the most important and most difficult things to be acquired. Many parents have, from infancy, been unaccustomed to restraint, and they find a very great struggle to be necessary to smother those feelings which will sometimes rise almost involuntarily. But we should ever remember that this must be done or we cannot be faithful to our children. We must bring our own feelings and our own actions under a system of rigid discipline, or it will be in vain for us to hope to curb the passions and restrain the conduct of those who are looking to us for instruction and example. There will many cases occur which will exceedingly try a mother's patience. Unless naturally blessed with a peculiarly quiet spirit, or habituated from early life to habits of self-government, she will find that she has very much to do with her own heart. This point we would most earnestly urge, for it is of fundamental importance. Anger is temporary insanity. And what can be more deplorable than to see a mother in a paroxysm of irritation, taking vengeance on her child? Let a mother feel grieved and manifest her grief when her child does wrong let her with calmness and reflection use the disciplines which the case requires but never let her manifest irritated feeling or give utterance to an angry expression if her own mind is thus kept serene and unimpassioned she will instruct by example as well as precept she will easily know and more judiciously perform her duty and the superiority of her own conduct will command the respect and the admiration of her children and until this is done, it will be impossible for a mother to enforce the rules of discipline, simple and obvious as those rules are. Number 2. Another great obstacle in the way is a lack of resolution. It is always painful to a parent's feelings to deprive a child of any reasonable enjoyment, or to inflict pain. Hence we are ingenious in framing apologies to relieve ourselves from this duty. Your child does wrong, and you know that he ought to be punished, but you shrink from the duty of inflicting it. Now of what avail is it to be acquainted with the rules of discipline if we cannot summon resolution to enforce those rules? It will do no good to read one book, and another upon the subject of education, unless we are willing, with calm and steady decision, to punish our children when the occasion requires. It is this weak indulgence, this wicked refusal to perform painful duty, which has ruined thousands of families. A mother will sometimes openly remonstrate with a father for punishing a stubborn child. She will call him cruel and unfeeling and conform her child in his willfulness, by her wicked sympathy and caresses. What can be expected from such a course as this? Such a mother is the most cruel and merciless enemy which her child can have. Under such an influence, he will probably grow up in wretchedness, not only to curse the day in which he was born, but to heap still bitterer curses upon the mother who bore him. You can do nothing more ruinous to your child. You can do nothing which will more effectually teach him to hate and despise you. You can do nothing which will, with more certainty, bring you in sorrow and disgrace to the grave than thus to allow maternal feelings to influence you to neglect painful but necessary acts of discipline. I would ask the mother who reads this book if she has not often been conscious of a struggle between the sense of duty and inclination. Duty has told you to punish your child, Inclination has urged you to overlook its disobedience. Inclination has triumphed, and your child has retired victorious, and of course confirmed in his sin. Be assured that thus in your own heart lies one of the greatest obstacles to your success, and until this obstacle be surmounted, everything else will be unavailing. It would by no means be difficult to fill this volume with cases illustrative of this fact, and of the awful consequences resulting. A few years since, a lady was left a widow with several little sons. She loved them most devotedly. The affliction which she had experienced in the loss of her husband fixed her affection with more intensity of ardor and sensitiveness upon her children. They were her only hope. Sad and joyless as she was, she could not endure to punish them or to deprive them of a single indulgence. Unhappy and misguided woman, could she expect to escape the consequences of such a course? She was living upon the delusive hope that her indulgences would ensure their love, and now one of these sons is seventeen years of age. A stout and turbulent and self-willed boy. He is altogether beyond the influence of maternal restraint. He is a tyrant of the family, and his afflicted mother is almost entirely brokenhearted by this accumulation of sorrow. The rest of the children are coming on in the same path. She sees and trembles in view of the calamity, which it is now too late to avert. It would be far happier for her to be childless as well as a widow. Her children are her oppressors, She is their slave. It is impossible now to retrace her steps or to retrieve the injury she has done her children and herself. Hardly any situation can be conceived more truly pitiable. And what has caused this magnitude of sorrows? Simply the mother's reluctance to do her duty. She looked upon her poor fatherless children with all the tender emotions of a widowed mother, and could not bear to throw around them necessary restraint, and insist upon obedience to her commands. She knew perfectly well that when they were disobedient they ought to be punished, that it was her duty to enforce her authority. It was not her ignorance which caused this dreadful wreck of happiness. It was a lack of resolution." that fond and foolish and cruel tenderness which induced her to consult her own feelings rather than the permanent welfare of her children. The reader will, perhaps, inquire whether the statement is a true account of a real case. It is a true account of a thousand cases all over our land. Mothers, we appeal to your observations if you do not see everywhere around you these wrecks of earthly hopes Have we not warnings enough to avoid this fatal rock? And yet it is the testimony of all who have moved about the world with an observing eye that this parental irresolution is one of the most prominent causes of domestic afflictions. There must be sufficient force in the punishment, or acts of discipline will be so inefficient as to do more harm than good. The spirit will be irritated but not subdued. Punishment becomes a petty vexation, and its influence is most decidedly pernicious. It is of the utmost importance that when it is inflicted it should be serious and effectual, and it is certain that the mother who adopts prompt and decisive measures will go forward with far less trouble to herself and her child, and will on the whole inflict far less pain than the one who adopts the feeble and dilatory measures which we so often see. While the one must be continually threatening and inflicting that mockery of punishment which is just enough to irritate the temper and spoils the disposition, the other will usually find her word promptly obeyed and will very seldom find it necessary to punish at all. Real benevolence prompts to decisive measures. The mother who first coaxes, then threatens, then pretends to punish, then punishes a little, is only making trouble for herself and sorrow for her family. But on the other hand, if she promptly meets acts of disobedience with firmness and inflicts necessary punishment decidedly, in at once, she is, in the most effectual way, promoting her own happiness and the best welfare of her child. A parent is much more prone to be thus fatally indulgent. If a child is of feeble and sickly constitution... Such children are very generally spoiled. How strange when God in His mysterious providence lays His hand upon some little one, and causes it to languish in weakness and in suffering, that the parent on that very account should neglect that child's welfare, and allow its passions to grow unchecked, its will to be stubborn and unsubdued. The mother perhaps is willing to do her duty with her more robust son she will do all in her power to control his passions and make him a good and happy boy. But the poor little sufferer she will indulge in all its caprices, till passion is strong and irritability is unconquerable, and a deeper sorrow of the mind are thus added to the pains and weakness of the body. Oh, how much cruelty there is in the world which goes by the false name of tenderness or love! Mother, Have you a sick and suffering child? You are to that child a guardian angel. If with mild and affectionate decision you enforce your authority, punish that child if it be necessary to teach him habitually and promptly to obey. If you do not do this, you are the bitterest enemy your child can have. You are doing that which has a most direct tendency to perpetuate its feebleness and to promote its misery. And yet I know that some mothers will still say, WHAT? SPEAK authoritatively AND EVEN PUNISH A POOR LITTLE CHILD WHEN SICK? HOW UNFEELING! THERE, THERE IS A DIFFICULTY, UNKIND TO DO ALL IN YOUR POWER TO MAKE YOUR CHILD PATIENT AND HAPPY. A little girl, we will suppose, cuts deeply her hand. Her mother is so kind that she will not let a physician be called, for fear he should hurt her daughter in probing and dressing the wound. Day after day this kind mother beholds the increasing and extending inflammation. She strives in her ignorance to assuage the agony of the wound, till after many days of excruciating suffering the physician is called to save her daughter's life by amputating the limb. When the accident first occurred, a few moments of attention and trifling pain would have prevented all these dreadful consequences. But the conduct of that mother is far more cruel, who will allow the mind's inflammation to increase and extend unchecked, who rather than inflict the momentary pain which is necessary to subdue the stubborn will and allay irritation, will allow the moral disorder to gain such strength as to be incurable." the consequences thus resulting are far more disastrous they affect man's immortal nature and go on through eternity there is no cruelty so destructive as this yet let it not be supposed that severity is recommended this is unnecessary and is always to be avoided Let the tones of the voice be affectionate and soothing. Let the mother sympathize with her whole heart in the trials and sufferings of her child. Let her be ingenious in devices for its amusement, but let her not ruin her precious treasure by indulging it in peevishness or disobedience. Your child cannot possibly be happy unless taught to subdue his passions and to be obedient to your will we would have kindness and gentleness and love, ever diffusing joy through the family circle. But if you would see your children happy and be happy yourself, you must, when your children are in sickness, as well as when they are in health, summon sufficient resolution to ensure propriety of behavior and obedience to your commands. Be firm, then, in doing your duty invariably." Never refrain from governing your child because it is painful to maternal feelings. It is certainly wisely ordered by providence that it should be painful to a parent's heart to inflict suffering upon a child. He who can punish without sympathy, without emotions of sorrow, cannot punish with a right spirit. Even our Father in Heaven does not willingly afflict His children. But does He... On that account, withhold his discipline and allow us to go on in sin unpunished? We must, in earnest prayer, look to him for strength and wisdom and unreservedly do our duty. We must be willing to have our own hearts bleed if we can thus save our children from the ravages of those passions which, unchecked, will ruin their usefulness and peace. A child, a short time since, was taken sick with that dangerous disorder, the croup. It was a child most ardently beloved and ordinarily very obedient. But in the state of uneasiness and pain, he refused to take the medicine which it was needful without delay to administer. The father, finding him resolute, immediately punished his sick and suffering son. Under these circumstances, and fearing that his son might soon die, it must have been a most severe trial to the father." But the consequence was that the child was taught that sickness was no excuse for disobedience. And while his sickness continued, he promptly took whatever medicine was prescribed and was patient and submissive. Soon the child was well. Does anyone say this was cruel? It was the noblest act of kindness which could have been performed. If the father had shrunk from duty here, it is by no means improbable that the life of the child would have been the forfeit. And this is a way to acquire strength of resolution by practicing strength of resolution in every case. We must readily and promptly do our duty, be it ever so painful. Number three. Another great obstacle in the way of training up a happy and virtuous family is the lack of harmony between parents on the subject of discipline. Sometimes when a father is anxious to do his duty, the mother is a weak and foolish woman who thinks that every punishment and every deprivation of indulgence is cruelty to her children, and when any one of them is punished, she will, by her caresses, do away the effect of the discipline, and convey to the mind of the child the impression that his father is cruel and unjust." A man who has formed so unhappy a connection is indeed in a deplorable condition, and if his wife is capable of being convinced of the ruinous consequences of such a course, he must take upon himself the whole duty of government. But as I am not now writing to fathers, I must turn from this case to another." It frequently happens that a judicious and faithful mother is connected with a husband whose principles and example are anything but what she could desire. In such cases, not only does the whole government of the family devolve upon the mother, but the influence of the father is such as, in a great degree, to counteract all her exertions. This is indeed a trying situation. It is, however, far from being a hopeless one. You must not give up in despair, but let the emergencies of the case rouse you to more constant watchfulness, and more persevering and vigorous effort. If a wife be judicious and consistent in her exertions, a father in almost all cases will soon feel confidence in her management of her family, and will very gladly allow her to bear all the burden of taking care of the children. SUCH A FATHER IS ALMOST NECESSARILY MUCH OF THE TIME ABSENT FROM HOME, AND WHEN AT HOME IS NOT OFTEN IN the mood TO ENJOY THE SOCIETY OF HIS FAMILY. LET SUCH A MOTHER TEACH HER CHILDREN TO BE QUIET AND STILL WHEN THEIR FATHER IS PRESENT. LET HER MAKE EVERY EFFORT TO ACCUSTOM THEM TO HABITS OF INDUSTRY, AND LET HER DO EVERYTHING IN HER POWER TO INDUCE THEM TO BE RESPECTFUL AND OBEDIENT AND AFFECTIONATE TO THEIR FATHER. THIS COURSE IS INDEED THE BEST WHICH CAN BE ADOPTED TO RECLAIM THE UNHAPPY PARENT. The more cheerful you can make home to him, the stronger are the inducements which are presented to draw him away from scenes into which he ought not to enter. It is true there is no situation more difficult than the one we are now describing, but that even these difficulties are not insurmountable, facts have frequently proved. Many cases occur in which the mother triumphantly surmounts them all and rears up a virtuous and happy family. Her husband is most brutally in temperament, and I need not here depict the scenes through which such a mother is called to pass. She sees, however, that the welfare of the family is dependent upon her, and accordingly nerves her heart resolutely to meet her responsibilities. She commences in the earliest infancy of her children, teaching them implicit obedience, she binds them to her with those ties from which they never would be able or desirous to break. The most abundant success rewards her efforts. The older her children grow, the more respectful and attentive they become, for the more clearly they see they are indebted to their mother for salvation from their father's disgrace and woe. Every sorrow of such a mother is alleviated by the sympathy and affection of her sons. She looks around upon them with feelings of maternal gratification, which no language can describe. They feel the worth and the dignity of her character. Though her situation in life may be humble, and though her mind may not be stored with knowledge, her moral worth and her judicious government command their reverence. In a family of this sort, in a neighboring state, One cold December night, the mother was sitting alone by the fire, between the hours of nine and ten, waiting for the return of her absent husband. Her sons, fatigued with the labors of the day, had all retired to rest. A little before ten, her husband came in from the neighboring tavern, where he had passed the evening with his degraded associates. He insisted upon calling up the boys at that unseasonable hour to send into the wood lot for a load of wood. Though there was an ample supply of fuel at the house, he would not listen to reason, but stamped and swore that the boys should go. The mother, finding it utterly in vain to oppose his wishes, called her sons and told them that their father insisted upon their going with a team to the woodlot. She spoke to them kindly, told them she was sorry that they must go, but she said, Remember that he is your father. Her sons were full-grown young men. But at their mother's voice they immediately rose, and without a murmur brought out the oxen and went to the woods. They had perfect confidence in her judgment and her management. While they were absent, their mother was busy preparing and inviting supper for them upon their return. The drunken father soon retired. About midnight the sons finished their task, and entering the house found their mother ready to receive them with cheerfulness and smiles. A bright fire was blazing on the hearth. The room was warm and pleasant, with keen appetites and that cheerfulness of spirits which generally accompany the performance of duty. Those children sat down with their much-loved parent to the meal she had provided, and soon after all were reposing in the quietude and silence of sleep. Many a mother has thus been the guardian and savior of her family. She has brought up her sons to industry and her daughters to virtue." And in her old age, she has reaped a rich reward for all her toil, and the affections and the attentions of her grateful children. She has struggled in tears and discouragement for many weary years, till at last God has dispelled all the gloom, and filled her heart with joy in witnessing the blessed results of her fidelity. Be not, therefore, desponding. That which has once been done may be done again. From what has been said in this chapter, it appears that self-control and resolution are the two all-important requisites in family government. With these two qualifications, which a person is inexcusable in not possessing, almost every other obstacle may be surmounted. Without these, your toil and solicitude will, in all probability, be in vain. Your faithful exertions attended with God's ordinary blessing— will open to you daily new sources of enjoyment in the unfolding virtues and expanding faculties of your children. Your decisive government will most undoubtedly be rewarded with the affection and respect of those whom you are training up to usefulness and happiness. And when old age comes, your children will welcome you to their homes and rejoice to give you a seat by their fireside and by unremitted attentions will do all in their power to prove how deeply they feel that debt of gratitude, which never can be fully repaid. Such joys will obliterate the remembrance of all present toils and sorrows. Let these hopes cheer you to go on rejoicing in the path of duty.
1: Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com.